Well, hello, CMYK community and beyond. If you're someone that's listening in for the first time, welcome. My name is Matt, and I am uniquely excited to uh, be back with this talk podcast this week for a couple of different reasons. First and foremost, I've been kind of off the last few weeks. I haven't really dabbled much in this podcast, and uh, the reason is because my wife and I just had our second child about two and a half weeks ago, and uh, her name is Margot, and she is gorgeous and amazing, and everybody is doing really, really well. Margot is eating, sleeping, and pooping, uh, just like you want any newborn to do. My wife is doing well. Uh, my three-and-a-half-year-old son is adjusting to a world that no longer revolves around him. So <laughs> we've had a lot going on in the Blakesley household the last few weeks. So um, it's been a nice kind of break for me to be able to take a step back from this and to be able to just spend some time with family. But I am back. And with that, this means uh, that we're back in the midst of the series that we started a few weeks ago and took a break for uh, that we're simply entitling The Bible and Sexuality. Uh, If you're just jumping in uh, to this series and this talk, I want to let you know that this is kind of the midway point of the series. So if for whatever reason you haven't listened to the beginning uh, few talks of this series, I would highly recommend it because what we're doing is we're talking about these two concepts, the Bible and sexuality, um, that are so significant in many of our lives and probably all of our lives on one level or another. We've wrestled through these concepts and, and thoughts before. And so for me and for us as a community to spend a few weeks really kind of diving into it and having some in-depth conversation about these things, and more significantly, I think, than just dealing with one or two specific verses within the Bible, what we're trying to do with this series is really zoom out and try to create a framework and an understanding uh, for what's a healthy and maybe appropriate way to handle these two things in 2018. And uh, as I've said at the beginning of um, most of the talks within this series, this whole series is driven by this kind of thesis statement, if you will, and it's this, that I believe the scriptures invite us to fully affirm and embrace our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, and that this is a healthy and important approach to our spirituality and life. That's where we're headed, that's what we're talking about, and, and that's what this series is meant to wrestle through, that kind of statement and why I think it's a healthy approach and how I got there and how I think uh, we can get there. So today, what I want to talk specifically about is this concept of the Bible, because obviously you're talking about the Bible and sexuality. At some point, you just got to zero in and talk about what is this thing known as the Bible, the scriptures, the word of God, whatever you would call it. And my hope with this talk, probably more than any other talk within this series, is that you personally would do your best to investigate and pursue some of these things. That I'm bringing some major thoughts and ideas, but it's really, I hope, an invitation for you to do some work for yourself. That you don't just kind of take my word for it and go, well, Matt said, and that you just go on with your life. But how you see the scriptures and how you see the Bible and interacting particularly with sexuality, it matters and it's significant so that you would do your own research and understanding of that. Also, when it comes to this topic, as I've said with most uh, talks within this series, I am by no means the end-all, be-all expert when it comes to this issue. And this is a big issue of what is the Bible and how we see and interact with the Bible. And this is not going to be the end-all, be-all talk. This is a, a shorter talk on many levels of something that could be weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and months of conversation around what is the Bible. So again, 
go and find people that have degrees and understanding in history around these kinds of things and do your best to challenge yourself and come to some conclusions and understandings for yourself. That's my hope with this, this talk and with this series that would point you in that direction. So today to talk about this idea of what is the Bible, I want to kind of frame it around this picture of a pair of glasses or two lenses, if you will, that you, when, when we look at the scriptures and we try to view what the Bible is, that there are two specific lenses that we would choose to see the scriptures through that I think is important and healthy. And the first lens that I think we need to learn to see the scriptures through is that it's an oral and written reflection of real people at a real place at a real time. In other words, the Bible is not a book that just kind of fell down from heaven somewhere. It wasn't penned by God necessarily and just showed up somewhere in the form that it is. But what we find is that it's a book that's ancient, that's a couple thousand years old at certain points. And that in that, the people that these texts come from were real people at a real place in real time. In other words, there are issues that they are wrestling through and talking about in their current time that are very prominent at that place in the world at that time for people like that. And what that means is when we hold the Bible up and we see it through this lens of it's an oral and written reflection of real people in a real place at a real time, what it means is that we're going to encounter certain issues that are not really issues for us, and that's okay. So things like me in 2018 living in Montana, I've never really wrestled with what to do with a donkey that falls in the well. How do I handle that? That's not a concern or a question in my life, but it's something that's talked about in the scriptures. Why? Well, because it's an ancient book and it's something that they potentially and probably dealt with at one time or another. And so, of course, this text is going to deal with certain issues that maybe are outside of where I am in 2018, and that's fine, but we've got to see that text within that light. Or take the issue of what to do. What do I do when I come home with the spoils of war? <laughs> I've, I've never had that issue in my life. I've never wondered, what do I do when there's a neighboring tribe or community that I, that I go to war with and just decimate everybody, and I come home with all this food and money, cattle and possessions and women from the other tribe. And I go, well, now what do I do with all these women that I just got in war? Uh, that's not a, an issue. That's, that's not something I've ever laid awake at night wondering, what do I do with the spoils of war? But again, this is something that's talked about and dealt with multiple times within the scriptures. Why? Because these were things that they were dealing with. Real place, real time, real people in this region of the world. This is the lens we've got to see it through. On top of that, with this lens, we've got to see that their worldview thousands of years ago where humanity was at and how they cho chose to go about certain things and view certain things, that we have progressed and grown as a society, as a species and culture. And that's a good thing. So you have things within, within scripture like science and the scientific understanding of how the world works that yes, is a few thousand years old for how you think something apparently goes. So things like weather patterns, that there was an approach to those kinds of things within scripture and an understanding to those kinds of things in scripture. But we as humanity have grown and progressed and we understand, we know where rain comes from and we can understand that and point to that. And that's a good and an okay thing. And so when we see these scriptures, when we see these texts within the scripture, we've got to have that lens. 
or particularly our view of humanity and others, whether that's women, the concepts of slavery, tribalism, we've grown and progressed in how we're choosing to treat and interact with each other. Again, it's a good thing. And it's understood that this thousands of year old book would have some ancient thoughts and ideas about how to approach each other. When it comes to the concept of what warfare is, idolatry and spirituality, these kinds of things, there is ancient ideas found there. And I've got to start with that lens that we've grown, progressed, and there's a reality to their world that they're dealing with that is not necessarily our reality because of the progression of humanity. So first and foremost, that's the lens that we got to start with. It's an oral and written reflection of a real people, a real place at a real time. But secondly, I think the other lens that we need to make sure that we see the scriptures through of what is the Bible is that it's an invitation into the reality of life now. This moment, this breath, this life that you hold and have right now, I believe that the scriptures are inviting you to wrestle with the reality of now. That as the people within scripture thousands of years ago are wrestling with their reality, there's complex issues when it comes to politics, when it comes to lifestyle, when it comes to religion and belief. That's what the scriptures are referencing and talking about for thousands of years ago, what people were dealing with then, that I believe the scriptures are inviting us to have the same kinds of conversations and wrestling matches here and now, but that it's to be found in this present reality. In other words, I don't see the Bible as something that is uh, a goal that we're trying to get our world or our lives back to biblical times. I'm not trying to get politics or government or understanding of science or these kinds of things back to a biblical system and understanding. No, I believe it's an invitation as we see people in ancient culture wrestle through these things that we would be invited into the same wrestling match and conversation. That we hold up these lenses and we work to see this is what the Bible is. That there's a here and a now. There's a divine ground of all being, this presence that we are invited into. And I believe that in this moment, in this breath, as we've talked about in this series previously, there is fruit to be found. There is a good, true, and beautiful approach to the world around you that has depth, purpose, and meaning, and that the scriptures would be an invitation into that conversation and wrestling match. That there's a life that can be spent founding fruit for yourself and benefiting those outside of yourself. And when it comes to the topic of sexuality, I believe this is what the scriptures are inviting us to do. To not try to bring back an ancient culture or understanding of something, but to work hard to find the reality of now and see how are the scriptures wrestling through this stuff to find fruit, to see what is good and true and beautiful. And how are the people in this ancient culture working to benefit those outside of themselves? And so this is what we do. We see the scriptures as this kind of invitation into the here and the now. This is what I see the scriptures, what I see the Bible being. 
which for some people, uh, that might feel just a little bit too vague, <laughs> a little bit too out there that you're like, really, that's it? That, that's all you got to say about that? Well, in the midst of that, I think if we're going to define what the scriptures are, I think it's important to also talk about and understand what the Bible is not. Because if it's those two things and we see it through those two lenses, that means that all of a sudden, for many of us, what we grew up believing about the Bible, it can start to break down really quickly when we see it for what it really is. So what that means is that the Bible is not a science book. Now, is there science in the Bible? Yes. But what we know about mathematics, astronomy, biology, cosmology, physics, chemistry, geology, quantitative analysis, these kinds of things, again, we've grown and progressed. And so the Bible is either silent on many of these things and issues or speaks of something completely different than what we know today. Things like the earth is not flat and the sun does not revolve around the earth, but it's, the different, it's a different way around. And honest data and understanding of science points to a world that is far older than 6,000 years old. Homo sapiens did not just come from two people. So we work to understand what is the reality of today and that this text is not just a science book that we deny reality or we deny science, but we work to bring our reality and understand there's a wrestling match here that we're invited into. But the Bible is not a science book. It has some science in it, yes, but it's not ultimately a science book. On top of that, the Bible is not a history book. Again, while there are elements of history in there and things that did happen that are talked about and recorded within scriptures, yes, we need to understand that the way that we in 2018 talk about and record, document historical things is not the way that these people and these cultures in ancient uh, periods of time, they would find themselves documenting and talking about history, particularly when it comes to an oral tradition. So there are, are things within scripture that Again, we grew up believing, well, the Bible says it, so that's what it was and that's what happened. But when we look at honest, real data and understanding of things, archaeology, we see that maybe this historical telling that we had of the Bible is not really what happened to the detail that we want to bring to it or that the Bible says was there. Because the Bible is not a history book. It's more of an oral and, and written tradition of a group of people wrestling through some things. So there's things like, there's little to no evidence of a great exodus of a group of slaves leaving Egypt, like we find in the second book of the Bible, in Exodus with Moses and all of these things. We just don't find that archaeological data. And this is one of the most dug around, research studied parts on planet Earth, and we're just not finding it anywhere. Now, that, that could change, obviously, but we've got to deal in the reality and try to work to understand, okay, maybe there's something different here than what the Bible would say it is, because the Bible is not trying to be just a straight history book, but more a story to share and to tell that would impact our life here and now. Or you take this giant conquest of Canaan that the Israelites did after, after they came out of Egypt. They took over large sections of land. And this conquest of Canaan is, is not really found in archaeology to the level or the degree that it should if what the Bible says happened actually happened. Peter Enns, in his great work, The Bible Tells Me So, communicates this. He says, Biblical archaeologists are about as certain as you can be about these things, that the conquest of Canaan, as the Bible describes, did not happen. No mass invasion from, from the outside by an Israelite army and no extermination of Canaanites as God commanded. 
See, what, what we see within the scriptures is, that th- is there were 31 Canaanite towns that are talked about. And 16 of them we know of were described as being completely decimated by the Israelites. And that leaves an archaeological trail that you can figure out and understand, oh, that's that one, and that's that one, and that's that one. Well, what we found in all of our research and digging and understanding and technology is out of those 16, two or three, and maybe up to four cities actually show up with signs of violent destruction. That's it. Now, it doesn't mean that the Bible is any less significant or important for our life here and now today, but it means that maybe the history book that we grew up believing or thinking it is, is not what it was ever trying to be. Because the Bible's not a history book. It's something more. And I would even say it's something better than that. On top of that, I think it's important to note that the Bible is not a rule book. Again, are there rules in the Bible? Oh boy, are there. (laughs) But many of us, even those that would say or see the Bible as God's rule book for life, and this is how you're going to go about things, we have found so many ways and places that we don't even follow the rules of Scripture because we don't even see it that way. Even if we talk about it that way, we don't actually go about it because there's things like the treatment of women, treatment of other tribes and beliefs, rules of cleanliness and worship. Many of these things can feel really outrageous and out there, but we seem completely content to write them off and say, well, that doesn't mean anything for us today. So all of a sudden, this God's rule book that many of us grew up believing that it was, this is the way you're supposed to go about life, we're not actually interacting with it that way. And what we've done is we've just worked hard to jump through some theological hoops to be able to create some kind of worldview that is actually based on our own understanding, hopes, biases, and beliefs about what we want to see in the world, and we're simply using the Bible to support those kinds of things. And I think this is no truer than what we find here and now in 2018, United States of America with our current political system, that we have a president, Donald Trump, that is communicating that he's a Christian and he's working hard to follow the Bible. And we, I mean, everybody can see there's so much about his life, so much about his rhetoric, the way he speaks about others, the way he goes about treating those on the outside or those that are lowly and poor, these kinds of things that are completely, if we are honest, completely against the scriptures. But yet the strongest support that our president has right now is from people that say that they are Christians and see the Bible as God's rule book for life. How can that be? Well, it's because the Bible isn't actually a rule book. It's just something that we bring our own biases, views, and opinions to, and we work hard to kind of maneuver these certain things to say, well, we don't have to do that, but this one really matters. Well, what's influencing that? It's our own desire for what we want to see happen. So you get a guy like Donald Trump that in so many ways is against the life and the way of Christ, but because of one or two issues that he's able to stir a base and a group of people around. And this is not trying to say whatever side of the political aisle on who's right or wrong. This is just understanding that the Bible is not a good rule book because you can kind of make it say what you want is what we've seen happen throughout history and what we're seeing happen today to justify what we already want. The other thing I think it's important to note is that the Bible is not just a single book. Yes, it is this thing that's bound together, and yes, there are things that tie into other things throughout this text, but it's actually a library of texts. 
There's at least 1,500 years that went into the making of these texts. And within that, it's representing various literary genres, worldviews, languages, cultures, agendas, agendas, perspectives, and opinions. So we've got to read it as such, as a library, as a collection of texts. And last but not least, I think it's important that we note and that we see that the Bible is not God. Now, this one might be confusing for some, and um, I can understand why. But here's the best way that I know how to talk about it. There is this clear message of Christ within the Gospels that he uses language about the law, the Bible, the scriptures, the law and the prophets. And he says that he has come to fulfill the law and the prophets, that we would find life and life to the full. There's this understanding through the teachings on the life of Christ that he's trying to say there's this thing called religion, spirituality, there's this thing called the Bible, but these things are not to end in and of themselves, but there's a fulfillment of them that's to come that you and I would find this life, that you and I would find the divine, find God in a more beautiful way to live, that there's a thing behind the thing, and that's what Jesus is trying to get to, and that the scriptures are meant to point us towards that thing, this reality of the ground of all being, God in this moment. But what I've seen and what I've found is that many times, whether it's in my own life and history, or whether it's what's happening within current Christian culture on a dominant level, is that we easily get caught up on the thing, on the scriptures and on the Bible. And rather than working hard to experience the divine here and now in this present moment, we spend our entire life just revolving around what a text says. Maybe this way will help you to think about it. A few years ago, when I uh, kind of first started to raise my hand about where I personally was at with these topics of the Bible and sexuality, it was was outside of um, what many of my spiritual leaders and family and friends uh, were thinking and believing about who I was. And I felt like I needed to be authentic and honest. So I was raising my hand saying, hey, this is where I'm at with this. I just want to be honest with, with where I am. And in the midst of that, one of the spiritual leaders around me at the time said, hey, I think it would be good for you to just write down your thoughts on these concepts of the Bible and sexuality. And, th- and that might be a good starting place for conversation. Great. So I sat down and I wrote this, this paper. It was just kind of a, a train of thought. It wasn't anything that I put a ton of energy or time into. I was just trying to be authentic and get into all the deep corners and crevices of my heart and mind and just kind of shine some light on it and say, hey, this is where I'm at with it. And I'll be honest, it probably wasn't the most well-written thing ever, but I was just trying to get it out there as a point of conversation. Well, this letter, this paper, got distributed to people that I knew and was distributed to people that I don't and didn't know. And all of a sudden, I found myself over the next few months having multiple conversations with people where they would sit down with this paper that I wrote, and they had read it, and they would sit down and they'd have a question, or more significantly, they would sit down and have an accusation about on this page, in this paragraph, you say this, da 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 And it's a very accusatory kind of presentation of what I said. Well, I, I would hear that, and sometimes they were right, but many times it was like, okay, I, I hear why you think that I'm saying that. But in that moment, me, Matt Blakesley, in flesh and blood in that moment, I would look them in the eye and say, I understand why you would think that's what I'm saying. But that's not what I'm trying to say by that statement or by that paragraph. What I'm actually trying to say is this. And I would try to help people understand where I really am and what I really think about this stuff. 
But what I found over and over and over again is that these words on the paper were far more powerful than me sitting in that room face to face with that person. In other words, they read and had this interpretation of what I meant. And no matter what I said about what I actually meant and what I actually believed, they, many times, multiple people would walk away with their own thoughts and beliefs about who I was and what I really thought because it was written in a paper and they were interpreting it the way that they wanted. I wonder how many of us have spent our life revolving around a text and we have our own interpretations and understanding of what the Bible says. All the while, there is this present divine God here inviting us into what is good and true and beautiful. And just like this person sitting across the table from me with a paper, they're missing out on the reality of me and what I actually believe and what I think. How many of us have spent a life that we miss out on the reality of this beautiful, divine, present moment, this depth of all being here and now, because we're so busy arguing and talking about what we think and what we're interpreting the Bible to mean and to say, that for the sake of revolving around scripture, we miss out on the reality of now. Again, I I love the way Peter Enns states it in his book, The Bible Tells Me So. He says, the Bible is not, never has been, and never will be the center of the Christian faith. Even though the Bible, at least in some form, has been ever-present since the beginning of Christianity, it's not the central focus of the Christian faith. That position belongs to God. Specifically, what God has done in and through Jesus. The Bible is the church's non-negotiable partner, but is not God's final word. Jesus is. Of course, the Bible is what tells us about this Jesus, but that doesn't put the Bible in the center. As theologians tell us, the Bible, in various, various and complex ways, bears witness to Christ. That is, the Bible's role is to encourage the faithful to live in its pages in order to look up from the pages and by the power and love of the Spirit of God, see Jesus. The Bible doesn't say, look at me. It says, look through me. The Bible, if we are paying attention, de-centers itself. I believe that there's an invitation into now. And maybe another way to think about it would be, it's like receiving an invitation in the mail to a party. I know that seems like ancient culture, days of your kind of thing, getting snail mail with an invitation in it. But let's just pretend. (laughs) You get an invitation in the mail, and there's some specific things about that invitation. There's a date, a time, and a place where you're supposed to be. There's a mention about some things that are going to happen at this party that you're invited to, like there will be snacks provided. And on top of that, there's maybe a color scheme and a presentation with the invitation. Well, you have an interpretation of what you just received. And so you show up to that party expecting something. And what I think happens many times with our interaction with the scriptures is that we show up to a party and there are certain things and elements at the party that we not, did not anticipate and we did not expect. And so we show up to the party and we expect snacks. But guess what? Someone brought lasagna. And there's a party that goes, hey, wait a minute. The invitation said snacks, not lasagna. Lasagna is a full meal. How dare they bring a full meal to something that's just supposed to be snacks? This is not. Okay, why? Because the invitation says. 
And even though there's a present reality to the party, something that you're invited to enjoy in that moment, you spend your entire time at the party disregarding the lasagna and telling everybody how bad the lasagna is. There's a color scheme that the invitation shows you, so you try to match it and you try to look your best and someone shows up in a white t-shirt that does not match and does not look good with the color scheme that you have decided fits this party. And so all of a sudden there's something that goes, this is not okay. And there's someone else with a different interpretation of that color scheme and a different interpretation of snacks. And all of a sudden now, the whole party, you're just fighting back and forth about what's allowed at this party and what's not allowed at this party and who's in and who's out and can you have lasagna or not. These kinds of things. You see where I'm going with this. I believe that there's a party and an invitation into right now, this moment. There's something so beautiful, sacred, and divine about this moment. And our tendency, if we make the Bible anything more than what it is, is we can spend our lives arguing and debating about what's okay and what's not okay, all the while missing out on the party. We're the guys at the party that nobody wants to invite again because we're just showing up angry and trying to argue with everybody about what's okay and what's not okay. The scriptures are an oral and written tradition from a real people at a real place in a real time. We've got to see it through that lens. And I believe the scriptures are an invitation into the reality of now. And so we work to see these texts invite us into now and the beauty, divine, sacred here and now. So to kind of land the plane today, I just want to kind of ask this question. Why do we get it backwards? Why do we see so much of Christianity in our culture today continue to revolve around this definitive understanding that this is what the Bible is and this is what it says and anything outside of that or any thinking outside of that is wrong and how could they? Why do we continue to see so many arguments and debates about this thing rather than just working to find the divine here and now? I think there's a couple of reasons. One, it's because we are afraid of getting it wrong. We all grew up in homes potentially where we didn't want to be in the timeout chair. We want to make sure that we pass the test. We want to get it right. And so when this book is seen as a science book or a history book, when it's seen as a rule book, when it's seen as God, the last thing in the world we want to do is get it wrong. But if it's not any of those things and that grace is the thing that this whole thing is grounded upon, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, then we've got to be willing to deal in the reality of now and see the scripture's invitation into that, not fear of getting it wrong. But secondly, and I think more uh, prominently, I think it's because we love to feel like we are in control. And a science book, a history book, a rule book, these are really clear-cut things that we feel like, I can control that, I can define that. There's a black and a white to that, that I just know that I know that I know these things, and it's because this book says it. And we all love our world when it feels like it's kind of out of control to find these things that we feel like, oh, I got it back in control, everything's okay. But within that, what we find is when we use it to be something that it isn't, science book, history book, rule book, whatever, when we use it to be these things that it's not, we find that it actually is not just controlling our life, but then it bleeds out and we work hard to then control and manipulate others as well. 
because if this is our worldview, then it has to match for other people's worldview. Because if it doesn't match, if you have a different worldview, one of us is wrong, right? So I've got to work hard to manipulate and change your worldview and win you over to my worldview to make me feel better like I have control and I'm on the winning team. And this is what we see throughout history over and over and over again. That there's a history of using the scriptures in the text, I think, in an inappropriate way to control and manipulate and bring people into a worldview that those in power were hoping to hold onto. So whether that's view and roles of women, whether that's moments throughout history of conquests and oppression of those outside of a specific faith, these are people using the Bible to justify their work to bring control into their world, to keep those in power in power. Things like slavery. The strongest proponents for slavery were those many times using scripture to say this is okay and it is God ordained for people to be property. Genocides of entire people groups have been justified because of the Bible, selling indulgences, there's abuse in marriage that is in, in marriages that are taking place and people are staying and saying it's okay because the Bible, abuse of children because of the Bible, and someone's sexuality is something that is controlled because of the Bible. And it's because someone is uncomfortable because this is outside of their comfort zone. <laughs> this is outside of what they know. And so all of a sudden, because of that, I've got to work to control you. And the Bible is used as this tool to do that. This is not what the Bible is. The scriptures are an ancient text, oral and written tradition from a real people at a real place at a real time. And it's an invitation into now to wrestle with and find the divine, a conduit that we see what is good and true and beautiful. And I'll just say this. It is much easier, I think, and safer to spend your entire life debating what an ancient text says and doesn't say and to find your life revolve around a Sunday service somewhere or a Bible study somewhere. Nothing wrong with those things, but it's much easier and safer to spend your life there debating and talking and learning and growing than it is to actually set the scriptures down and to work hard to find what is good and true and beautiful in those outside of ourselves, in the other. This is what the scriptures are. And I believe, just like any tool, the Bible is this incredible tool that can be used for good. You take a hammer, you can build a lot of really great, beautiful things with a hammer. But just like any tool, you can also bring a lot of destruction when it's used in an inappropriate way. You can break a lot of things with a hammer. And I believe the scriptures are a tool. And there can be so many good, beautiful things that come from our interactions with the Bible and our conversation and wrestling match with the Bible. But as many of us have experienced, there can be a lot of hurt, pain, brokenness, and destruction that comes because this tool The scriptures are used in an inappropriate way. And for me, it's one of the best tools that I know. And personally, one of the best tools that I have that continues to resonate for me. I would be lying to say that there's not something that's good and true and beautiful about the way it resonates in my life personally. 
this invitation to see that there's more here in my life than just the physical flesh and blood and dirt and soil around me, but there's a mystery, a beauty, a life present that I'm invited into. There's more here that I have to understand and the scriptures are a tool that help me wrestle with and understand that I'm not alone. And I'm not alone whether it's in my humanity and seeing the divine spark in someone else or I'm not alone when it comes to the divine presence in this moment. It's an incredible tool for, help, for, for me to look and see that grace, and forgiveness, love, these are things that move the story forward. And when it comes to greed and control, and manipulation and anger, these are things that never move the story forward forward and it helps me to wrestle with this present reality of how do I move this thing forward into what's good and true and beautiful. So how do you see the Bible? What is it? And when it comes to specifically to this topic of sexuality, is it a text that's a science book, a history book, a rule book that you're working to justify a certain worldview or feeling or emotion that you have towards something? Or are you working to find what is good, true, and beautiful here and now in those outside of yourselves. I would just finish by asking a couple questions. And it's this. What tools or disciplines do you have to help you in this wrestling match of the reality of now? Again, I I talked about how scriptures are helpful for me in that. Do you have tools and disciplines that that are found there? What are you reading that's challenging you and inviting you into that? What are you studying? And so it's not just something you read and put down, but what's a topic or a conversation that you continue to come back to when you read different viewpoints and different insights that you're truly studying and working to become a scholar of? It's important. This stuff matters. And I believe that the, the scriptures are inviting us into that. Who or what are you being challenged by? Someone that's outside of your thinking and way of going about things. Or I would ask, who or what are you open to that's outside of yourself and you're working to learn and to listen from them? I believe that there is this divine beauty and presence here and now in this moment and that you and I are invited into it and that the scriptures are an incredible tool to help us discover, wrestle with these kinds of things but we cannot turn it into something it's not. We cannot turn the Bible into a tool that is going to bring destruction, hurt, and pain because that's not what it is. If for whatever reason you'd like to go deeper, I I just would mention a couple things. I I think that uh, there's some great texts. Again, these are just some. uh, So you for yourself, go and discover some as well. But the Bible tells me so by Peter Enns. I referenced him a couple times. Is just a phenomenal text. I think it is a great place to start. There's a text called Walking the Bible by Bruce Feller. Uh, This is a a book that as a journalist, he went and kind of documented his journeys around the biblical lands and trying to understand Old Testament culture and understand real people, real place, real time. It's fascinating to see it from that vantage point. I would also invite you to read Disarming Scripture by Derek Flood. This is a great text if for whatever reason the Bible has been used as a tool in a negative way in your life and you've got a lot of destruction uh, because of it. This is a great text. Or uh, there is What is the Bible? 
or the text Velvet Elvis, both by Rob Bell. I think both are great texts that help you us understand and navigate the Bible in a different way. And last but not least, I would just point out this text, The Story of God, The Story of Us by Sean Gladding. Uh, it's this really, really great uh, narrative of the entire Bible in some ways. And, and the way Sean tried to approach it was like, it is uh, what, like it was originally told. It's this narrative oral tradition. So it's, it's a story told around about people standing around a campfire sharing where they came from and what matters to them, these kinds of things. And so it, it helps us see the Bible in that light. So any of those texts, I think, would be really great. All right. I love you. Uh, thank you so much for being willing to be a part of this journey with us. And we're going to continue on with the series, The Bible and Sexuality, next week as we continue uh, to zero in even closer on some specific texts within the Bible next week. All right. Thanks.